Hey, listeners, please support the Business of Pharmacy podcast by checking out our sponsors at bizofpharmpod.com. That link is in the description. You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Mike, for those who haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. Hi, it's Mike Salazzo. Today, I would like to just talk about the relationships between primary and secondary wholesalers with independent pharmacies. Mike, you've worked for some bigger wholesalers yeah, and for some smaller wholesalers. Which ones have you woken up on Monday morning feeling a little bit happier than the other one where you're not feeling so happy? So I, I started my career off with a regional wholesaler in upstate New York and then went to a larger wholesaler. I went to a company called Binley Western. Yeah, I'd recognize a name. Yeah, great company. They ended up selling to Cardinal. And I kind of flip-flopped around a little bit for a few years. And then I ended up going back to Cardinal and worked for Cardinal for a good chunk of my career. And I was on a generic side of the business at that point. And then I, I left Cardinal. I went to a secondary supplier, Anda. So I went to Anda for a while. I had a nice experience there. But quite honestly, I didn't want to move to Florida. So I ended up going to Capital Drug in Columbus, Ohio. And that has been my best experience yet. It's uh, Capital is a family-owned business, been around for what, over 74 years, super family, just straight shooters, and really cater to the independent pharmacy. When you talk about one of the wholesalers wanting you to move to Florida, would that have changed now after COVID? I mean, not because of COVID, but with the video chat and all that. Would that have been easier to do that? Or do you think some of these companies still want you at headquarters? Yeah. So the position that I was in at, at and it, it was more of a headquarters role. There was some family dynamics going on for me that just really just didn't, it wasn't the right time for me to pick the family up and move to Florida. No ax to grind, good company, love competing against them. It just it wasn't the right fit. So that's all. I'm sure you've met a lot of pharmacists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know your salespeople. Right. Are they two different sets of people? Are one of them gregarious and salesy and the other one's more black and white? Can you tell the difference? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, Mike. A pharmacist goes to school to learn about medication and dealing with patients and disease states and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, in pharmacy schools, to my knowledge, I mean, they're really not teaching anything about business. So you're getting that business degree, so to speak, on the fly, and you're, you're leaning on your suppliers a lot of times. A common thread for the salespeople that I admire is that they have a need to help. They want to help. And the better salespeople that I've come across, they want to maintain that relationship based on delivering value. And a lot of the better sales reps, it's not always saying yes. It's sometimes saying no for the right reason. And sometimes you have to just bow out gracefully yeah. if you have to. Well, you hear about that when you got the salespeople agreeing to too much. 
And then they're overpromising, but then the wholesaler or, or the company, whatever it is, has to under deliver because they right. promise too much. And I'm sure there's just some tension there to, to say the least. Yeah, there is. I mean, as I think as you grow, like, like any business or any career, if you will, I mean, learn where the guardrails are. Okay. Unfortunately, the pharmacy business on really on both sides of the house, whether it's your resale or your wholesale, the margins are thin. And so you have to know where those guardrails really lie. How often is a typical salesperson talking to somebody else in the company? For example, how often on average would your sales team check in with you? Is it daily, weekly, monthly? How often are they actually physically talking to a director? Yeah. So in my role, there's a sales manager underneath me who the sales team actually reports to her. Okay. And so my role is I'm facilitating capital working with an, either an individual pharmacy or a pharmacy buying group or a coalition. And then the salespeople, we're training them on, you know, hey, the, who these people are and so on and so forth. What our contractual commitments are to that group. And then they're establishing the relationship. But to answer your question, our, our sales manager is interacting with our salespeople every day. But we are a telesales, so capital is really all telesales, okay? Uh, but, you know, when I work for one of the larger wholesalers that there's, you know, actually salespeople on the road, they have teleconferences or conference calls every two or three weeks. But the sales manager is accessible for questions and or concerns. If you have someone on the road, what would determine if they weren't a good fit any longer and why wouldn't they be a good fit? What metrics do you look at, if any, and how do you know they're not a good fit? And I imagine it's everything from just numbers to maybe pharmacies calling you and saying, hey, I got to right. talk to you. And like, why aren't you talking to my guy? It's like, well, you figure it out. I need to go directly to you. Right. Yeah. So there, there's a couple of ways to looking at things. I mean- to me, if a pharmacy calls and says, hey, I don't want Mike calling on me any longer. Well, you know, that, okay, what's the issue? And so kind of dive into it. If the numbers are seriously or steadily declining within that territory, you don't go from 60 to zero overnight. I mean, there, there's a trend. And so my knee jerk would be to talk to the salesperson first to see what's going on. Because there is a lot of dynamics that, that happen out in the field. Okay. But by and large, at the, the primary wholesaler, I mean, the customers are signing contract with the primary and there's a commitment, you know, so they're saying, hey, I'll give you X amount of brand a month. I'll give you X amount of generics a month. And so when something falls off, there's typically, there's something bigger than, hey, I just don't like my salesperson, but that's where the relationship comes in where you have to get in front of the customer and say, hey, you're not meeting your commitment. I imagine there can be tension with the pharmacist and the salesperson that may not be fair, but the salesperson is a personification of somebody that can be the whipping horse because the pharmacies don't have a face for a PBM and the drug manufacturer doesn't have a face. The only face that comes in that's not part of the pharmacy and not a customer is the sales rep. So I imagine they almost have to be like a, a boxer or a psychologist. A lot of times it's a very focused person that comes in that I'm sure gets an earful. 
everybody has their own style. Okay. But there's no two people alike. But, you know, the salespeople who, and this is, this comes over time. This isn't something that first day on the road, boom, hey, here I am. But you have to establish that relationship with the customer and not so much that, you know, hey, I got a good relationship. So I have this widget and I can sell it to them. That's not the kind of relationship I think that is going to be very long lasting. The kind of relationship I think that's really long lasting is you tell the truth. And once the customer finds value in the truth, that's where they can really get into the details of what's going on in the industry. Hey, this isn't just happening at your location. There's an issue if there's an item shortage in the industry. We're on the same team because the way that I've coached salespeople to be is that, hey, this is your business. And so if your business is generating X amount a month and one of your business partners decides to go out of business, you just lost part of your territory. You just put lost part of your business. So it's incumbent upon you to keep them as healthy as possible. But it's an education piece. It is. And some people, quite honestly, it's like anything else. I mean, you have good auto mechanics and you have bad auto mechanics. When you, as a sales manager or director, when you ride along with salespeople, you can tell very quickly if they're bringing that value to the store or it's just a, hey, how you doing? How's everything? You've been in the industry quite a while, Mike, and I have too. And I imagine your memory runs the gamut of doctor detailing and trips being one and all the stuff that's probably illegal now. Yeah. You've seen that all condensed, right, over the oh, years? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Well, I guess to put it in a nutshell, you, you can't find a golf ball at a trade show any longer. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's different IRS rules, but there's probably other things that I'm not thinking of. Brand manufacturers, generic manufacturer, they were always the ones with the bigger giveaways and yep. so on and so forth. And I think it led to a, hey, you guys are making so much money. You're the problem. I mean, you're giving away all these golf balls and trip. It's not a good look. Yeah, it's not a good look at all. So they have really backed it way, way down, so to speak, in that area. I think there's some industries like I think that the insurance agents, you know, the life and the car and all that, I think they still have a lot of award things like that. And I think the reason they can do that is the average customer, like if I'm a customer of my car insurance company, I don't see what those agents are doing. I don't really know when they're going to Hawaii or a cruise, but I think that in the pharmacy world, it's so under the spotlight. Yeah. It doesn't take long for me as a pharmacist to know that my rep is in Hawaii that week. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, what cars do you drive? You probably want your lawyer maybe to have a decent car, meaning that he wins some cases, yeah. but you don't want your plumber yeah. coming up in a, uh, in a Mercedes. You know, Mercedes or something right. like that. When you think of sales, Mike, in my mind, there's always like two different types. And I know there's more, but I'm always thinking cold calls and relationships or cold calls and an account kind of thing. When you think of your history, you probably have done your share of, and I imagine still people have to do a good share of cold calling, especially with the competition. 
Well, absolutely. Yeah, it's gotten different. To me, the best cold call is really a warm call where it's somebody that, you know, you're currently doing business with, where you just say to them, hey, look, one of my goals is to bring on new customers and so on and so forth. But you say to your customer, do you have any relationships of guys that you think, if you're satisfied with what I'm doing for you and your store, can you just give me a warm introduction? And we use them, I've used them a lot over my career. So much in sales, I mean, is just finding out, it's asking the right question. And it's finding out what do you need? What are the problems? Where are you missing? So on and so forth. And then just try to fill in the, those gaps, if you will. The plan that the, the primary has is that I wouldn't say that it's a one size fits all program, but it's not really a customized plan, you know, for Mike's pharmacy. It's you have a few things to look at. And that's really it. And we're a secondary supplier. We're more flexible, where we can move down to a specific item, if you will, that you're having an issue with, whether you're having a financial issue with that item, that we can adjust pricing right on the fly for you, where the primaries, their go-to-market strategy is different. It's, it's based on the aggregate of all of the purchases and so on and so forth. But that's where the pharmacies really have to know, really, what does that buy plan really do to them? So, you know, what we try to do is to work into that equation where the customer has a commitment that they have to give X percentage or X dollars a month to the primary to maximize their rebates, their cost of goods, and so on and so forth. And so that's where a good secondary will try to work into that buy plan and work with the customer to find out some of the parameters of the buy plan. But the industry is changing and especially, uh, and, and there's some good things that I believe that are really taking place today. There's some, what I would call platforms out there that you are attached to this platform and it is doing your ordering for you. There's some of them that just facilitate just a transaction. It's, hey, I need a Torvastatin. Who's got the cheapest price? Did I hit the minimum? Place the order. And those are fine. There, there's other ones that are out there that take into consideration, which to me is very important, take into consideration the entire buy plan that the pharmacy is contractually under with the primary so let's just say for argument's sake, your commitment is $100,000 a month to your primary. You hit that 100000 but there's another $15,000 worth of drugs that you still need to buy before the end of the month. That 15000 you might be able to save $5,000 by spending it away from the primary. And in my mind, the primary should be fine with that because they kept their commitment and the pharmacy is making money, and that will keep the pharmacy in business. If someone came to you, Mike, and said, we're sick of the big three, and I've got all the money in the world, I just want great service, could somebody like Capital, could they be a primary, or what would preclude them from being a primary? I'm guessing certain lines and certain medicine and things like that. 
Well, Capital's a full-line wholesaler, so we carry both brand and generic, okay? We only buy from the manufacturers. We're DSCSA compliant. We're very engaged already, working towards the new regulations with DSCSA. But the way that I kind of digest the primary is that the primary has more services than a secondary would have, okay? And that's why I consider Capital more of a secondary than a primary wholesaler is because we don't have those services. We don't have a third-party reimbursement service. So when it comes to buying goods, sure, we can supply them. That's not an issue. But how are they going to adjudicate their prescription? And so that's where more of the big three or some of the other you know, regional wholesalers would come into play. It's really some of the services. We don't have a primary wholesaler because about two and a half years ago, we stopped selling all brand names. Right. I remember and you so yeah. the wholesalers, I guess, by definition, were not up to their, I guess we couldn't buy enough from them to make, they wouldn't want us without some of the brand names. One area where we struggle with, though, is over-the-counter items. And it seems like maybe a lot of the secondary wholesalers don't have over-the-counter. And it makes me think that the over-the-counter business is maybe not good or it's a hassle if the big three are the only ones that have them. Is that the reason? It's kind of a pain in the ass or? Yeah, I know. I think you're directionally correct. How's that? I think that with the OTC business, so I mean, if you're one of the big OTC manufacturers, who are you going to call on first? You're going to call on Walmart. You're going to call, you're going to call Walmart first. And then the pecking order goes down. And then the big three would obviously be on that list. And so it, so much of that business is just shipping is crazy. Cost to profit and so on. Right. So I actually have a few friends that that own pharmacies that they buy over the counter from a, a regional grocery wholesaler and go pick it up. Right. Yeah. They just go, they have a van and they, they place an order once a week and then they, they go pick it up. We have some friends in the business you let will help us out once in a while, sometimes we'll get some stuff from Amazon right. and that. But you're right. There's probably grocery wholesalers that have yeah. the basics kind of thing. Right. Right. Huh. So when you're talking about a TC, I mean, are you talking about analgesics or ibuprofens and things of that nature? Those are easy to ship. But, you know, when you're, when you're shipping a 64-ounce bottle of Tide, you know, the supplier may be making a dollar on it and it's costing them $15 to ship it. And so yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't work. The pharmacist, by and large, is still a very integral part of the community. And fortunately for independent pharmacy, they can really, they can impact the community. They're not running the the chain model where it's like more, just pushing through. We just got to keep selling scripts. Taking the time, talking to people, recommending, just say, hey, look, I just, you're taking this medication. You may want to take a probiotic with it or so on and so forth. The world is changing. People still want to, they want to do business with people that they trust. That's where I've always come from since I've been in this business. And, and so what's the saying? I mean, it's the most trusted profession. And so. Use it. Use it. I mean, if you're an independent pharmacy and all of a sudden your script count goes from 150 to 200, first thing you got to do is hire another tech. If you're a chain, 
It's, hey, tough it out. We're eating lunch at the counter today. But that's who we are. That's what we do because it's a different model. From 2015 to 2020, I just wasn't around the store very much. I didn't like it. We were losing money. We had too much staff. I didn't know where business was going. But I came back right just about when COVID hit. I came back. And let me say this. Part of that time during that 2015 to 20, when all you're doing is looking at your reimbursement and stuff like that, and you start thinking like, nobody needs us, you kind of have this pity party. But when I came back in that time period right around COVID, and we weren't even doing vaccinations, but it was amazing, hit me in the face how much people needed us. Yeah. And... Now, when I think of like us not being there, I don't know how the hell these people would function with the services that we give to them. I truly think their health would go down. I totally agree with you. I mean, I can't, I mean, I know as a kid, I mean, I grew up in upstate New York. It was pretty rural. My mother would, I'd love her. I mean, we'd go to the pharmacist half the time before going yeah. to the doctor. Yeah. yeah, that's poison ivy. But yeah. it's the, it's the, yeah, it, you know what? It looks like measles to me. Take them to the doctor. By and large, again, is that the pharmacist can really interact with the customers. One of the biggest fights my dad, and my dad was my mentor, business partner until he passed. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Years ago, 15 years. Thank you. One of the biggest fights we had when you bring up about how People don't go to the doctor, they went to the pharmacist. Well, when you're a child of a pharmacist, especially an old timer, my dad would bring home antibiotics for us and stuff. He's going to be damned if he goes pays to go to a doctor's office, you know. So I was probably 18 or 19 and I was at the cottage with our big family and my now wife, but my girlfriend. And I think I had something wrong with me. And my dad said something like, we'll try this. And I'm like, well, dad, you never took us to the doctor. I kind of put him down like you would never get the best for us with a doctor. And he said, you probably wouldn't be sick if you weren't staying out till 2 a.m. with Margaret every night. <laughs> so I was so pissed. So we, Margaret and I walked down the beach at Lake Michigan and I was so pissed. And now I'm thinking, what was I pissed about? It was true. Was I got right. my little jab in and he got his little jab in. I was fair. Oh, that's right. And what do they say? The only thing that'll hurt you is the truth. <laughs> exactly. And if my dad said something absurd, it wouldn't get to you. You'd say, dad, you're crazy. What the hell are you talking about? But when it's okay. something that is close to true or is certainly true, those are the ones you get mad about. That's right. That's right. Mike, what kind of pharmacist would you have to fire over the years? What kind of personality? And I'm imagining that you fired some customers or you strongly suggest they move on. What kind of pharmacists were those? What was maybe their personality type that you didn't like? Yeah, sometimes sometimes it's like anything else. I mean, we talk a lot about the relationship. Sometimes it's just not a good fit between mm -hmm. two people. And that's okay. I've handled my fair share of credit issues over the oh, years. Yeah. And I think that for me, if one of my customers had a credit issue, I didn't walk away. I didn't just say to the credit manager, hey, 
You handle it. I'm not involved. You try to help those guys work it out. I had a customer once way back when that there, as I kind of took my inventory, so to speak, after it was all over, it was just, it just wasn't a good step. It wasn't worth it. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. And and I I gave up the account to somebody else. I don't think he was happy with the new guy either, but that's okay. That's okay. So it's funny. My grandfather used to say, just be yourself. Let people not like you from the start. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. That's really good. Mike, two thoughts come to my mind. I think about how it's probably tough for, let's say, when someone retires and then the pharmacist who's kind of maybe is the same age as a sales rep getting up there. And then this person comes in, they're 25 years, they're junior. They don't know it. They don't have the relationship and so on. And I know, just like with COVID, COVID was a great time for people to change their hairdresser, maybe drop out of a service club or something, because it's like, well, it's COVID. You don't feel bad about it. And I know a lot of pharmacies, me included, where I made some decisions finally when the sales rep quit. I can think of two times where one of the guys quit and it's like, well, I've been meaning to go with this guy and I'm going to now because I don't have to look this guy in the face. And say, I'm leaving because they were about even. But now when the new person comes in and I've known the person that's been trying to get my business for four or five years, I imagine that's a time where there's a lot of flip-flopping. Yeah. So there, there is. So, I mean, if you're good, I shouldn't say good. If you're on top of your business from, from both sides of it, from the retail to the wholesale, I mean, if you're the wholesaler, if you're the supplier, let's just say. And, you know, hey, my guy's getting ready to retire. You'll insert somebody in there while he's still there mm-hmm. you know, to learn about, hey, here's this guy's, he doesn't want to hear this. He doesn't like that. He blah, blah, blah. You kind of learn what's going on. If both sides of the equation are smart, they're going to learn from each other because, you know, mm-hmm. what happens is, I mean, you got some gray hair. I got some gray hair. There, There's some stuff out there we don't know anything about. But a lot of these younger guys are coming up and saying, hey, did you hear about? And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? No matter how contemporary you think you are. So there's always room to, to learn. There's times where some of the new people have come in and they say, well, we can do that. We've got this new computer right. handheld thing you could do. And you know that right. Charlie, who's... 64 on his way out wasn't going to learn that stuff. And so you learn that stuff with a new group. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't put a square peg in a round hole. That's for sure. Mike, you mentioned earlier about contracts. And now that we don't have a wholesaler, a primary wholesaler, we obviously don't have a contract, but we were just at the tail end of never doing a contract. We never signed a contract with our wholesalers and part of it because we had just been there so long and we didn't, we haven't touched this for the last five, eight years. But I know that's a newer thing coming in. Are those typically beneficial for both sides or where does that come into play? Yeah. So, I mean, the PVAs or the prime vendor agreements, I mean, they've been part of the business for quite a while. I mean, when I started, it was a handshake. There was really nothing written, but they've been very prevalent over the last 10 years, really, and are probably going to continue even greater. It's a double-edged sword, Mike. I mean, the, the, the primary obviously has to make money, and so they're, they're putting their best foot forward. And a snapshot in time, when the PVA is delivered, it 
it looks like it's a pretty attractive deal. Unfortunately, what's happened for a lot of pharmacies today is that they're signing these deals that are two, three-year deals, and it's all based on dollars. When you boil it down, the dollars are deteriorating because of the generic deflation. And so at one point, let's just say for argument's sake, when they signed the PVA, they were committing to doing $50,000 a month in generics. Six months from the date of signing, that 50000 they could be buying the same exact unit, but are 48000 And so there's a lot of penalties a lot of times if they're not hitting their commitments. What I've seen with some of, some of the more progressive, if you will, primaries, they're flexing on the pharmacy side where they're not saying, hey, look, you have to give us 98% of your entire business and we're going to monitor it and do compliance and so on and so forth. Where it's more fair to the pharmacy to say, hey, look, we want X amount. We know, especially on the generics, by and large, the brand cost of goods that they're getting from the primary is typically better than what they're going to get somewhere else. They may be able to get an item or two at a better price, but by and large, the brand is going to go to the primary. And so what some of the more contemporary wholesalers are saying is that we looked at your business, so you're telling me you have $100,000 of, of generics that you're buying in a month. We're going to require 85% of that to be compliant. Okay. That's something as a customer, putting my pharmacy hat on, that I would consider because what you're admitting to me by doing that is you don't have the best price on every generic. And I've told customers time and time again, if somebody walks in here and says, I have the best price on every generic that's on the market, just throw them out of the store because nobody does. It's such a moving target. And so an 85% compliant rate is probably pretty fair. 80 to 85, let the pharmacy shop that other piece because financially it's going to make a positive impact to them. And then once that's done, then find a secondary that you can work with, with better payment terms that you're getting from the primary. Typically the primary wants a quicker pay, so to speak. Find somebody who is based on your credit worthiness, which is so important in today's environment, to get those expended terms. And then again, when you find that secondary, make sure that they hook you up with the right salesperson. If it's not a good fit, just say, I want a new yeah. salesperson. I want to work with somebody who is working the way that I need them to work. And the salesperson needs to be cognizant of the fact that these guys are busy. They're stretched. They are definitely stretched. Don't call them up every three hours and say, hey, do you need anything? Can I do anything for you? Get a schedule appointment. on. It's, hey, whatever works for you. You want me to call you every day at 4.30? Done. But that's, again, we talked a little bit about honesty, trust, and really just building that relationship, which is respect, which is so important. I always work on the, the premise that everybody has to earn, but there's a line. Everybody knows the line is that I don't want you to earn too much, but everybody has to deliver to their own bottom line. And where the secondary can really create value is that they can move to the item that is a pain point for a customer. And so if they have a customer that's taking a specific NDC 
that the doctor recommended, but that's not on the formulary. The secondary can move to that particular item. And so that's where it's that give and take. There's that relationship and respect with all three, the primary, the secondary, and the store owner. The other piece, you know, is the rebates. They, a lot of the primaries are still, they're doing the, hey, if you buy X, I'll rebate you back Y and so on and so forth. Financially, unless that rebate check is coming in very timely, the pharmacy's payments are being held up a lot of times by the third parties. And so, you know, they need that positive cash flow. They can't say, well, hey, my wholesaler owes me. Hey, your wholesaler should never owe you. I mean, it's if it's due on a 10th, it's got to be there on a 10th. And, you know, for, for us at, at Capital, by and large, I mean, we're a net bill vendor. I mean, if we tell you it's $37.58, we're invoicing you $37.58. We can do rebates. I mean, if that's what you elect to do. You know, the other piece that, that's out there, we touched on the platforms. There's, they're going to be a significant part of our business going forward, I believe. It's good and it's bad. To me, the platforms, there's not a, there's not a big relationship there. This would be a company that says, we're going to conglomerate 15 secondaries or something Correct. and find the best price and then work yes, with their computers absolutely. to do this or that. Like I said before, I mean, the ones that I'm attracted to, more so from, from a personal and a business standpoint, are the ones that look at the entire business piece, not just facilitating one transaction. You know? And those are the ones that you're using that intelligence every day where it has your PVA loaded in. It knows where you're at towards that PVA. It's telling you when to buy away and so on and so forth. The only thing it really doesn't do, so to speak, some of them do it a little bit, but not really. There's not a human touch that says, hey, Mike, I'm really having an issue on anoxaparin. Can you help me out on the price? The price is the price, basically. And so that's a big piece, I think, that we're going to keep seeing evolve in, in the marketplace. Fortunately or unfortunately, I think it's unfortunate. I look at our sales reps, our average tenure of doing selling generics, probably uh, close to 20 years. And so our people get on the phone with customers and they drive value. I mean, there is no doubt about it. Unfortunately, pharmacists that are coming up are so ingrained with the Amazon model, so to speak, they don't value the relationship the way we did, you know, or we do. And so I would hate to see that piece really go away. But, you know, like like anything else, I mean, the business, whether they're in the automotive business or the pharmaceutical business, I mean, automation is going to keep progressing. Let's say you had to give a job description to one of the phone salespeople. What would that look like? What would you tell them in terms of how many different people they're talking to a day? What's the average phone call length? Those kind of things. Yeah. So our folks work an eight-hour day. Okay. We have a staggered shift, so to speak. So people on the West Coast, we're not leaving at four o'clock and they're still going strong. Our folks make about 80 to 100 phone calls a day. Not per person, total? No, per person. Per person, yeah. wow. We have 17 very seasoned sales reps. 
Okay. Do the math. I mean, so that's like about 1,700 phone calls a day that are being placed. Okay. By and large, about 80% of those calls that are being made are to existing customers. Okay. Various times of the day. And the, the call will be, you know, obviously there's some pleasantries before you get into the business piece of it is that you know, hey, Mike, you had asked about this item before. It is back. The manufacturer has released it and so on and so forth. The other calls would be, and they're quite prevalent, is that, hey, Mike, you just told me to order six of these for you. Only take three right now because I believe there's going to be a price drop coming because there's another manufacturer coming into the market. Things of that nature. If you're working with somebody, we work with a lot of customers where we know they have shared with us how much money they have to spend in a month to be compliant. We'll say to them, hey, look, you're up to $5,000. You're kind of at the threshold right here, unless you're, I don't want to impact your agreement with your primary, so to speak. So it, it's that, those are the types of phone calls that we have. We have, obviously we, we put items on special that we know were hot in the marketplace. Obviously Camiflu was recently just blowing off the shelves. I keep talking back to relationships and we've been around for so long that the manufacturers know us and trust us. And so we have from our purchasing side, purchasing and pricing, we have fantastic relationships with these manufacturers where they're answering our questions when we're saying, hey, this item, we're trying to get it. Tell us, give us the skinny, what's going on here? And we're communicating that down to our salespeople because the customers need to know. On the manufacturers, do they have reps that come in to you or are they like on a phone system, like with their salespeople to you? How does that work out? And how many different, I'm trying to picture if you guys are dealing with like a bigger wholesaler or you're dealing directly with the manufacturers and how many different people are you working with that supply you? Yes, that's a good question. So- I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, Mike, we probably deal with that. I'm going to make up a number of 150 different manufacturers. Okay. Wow. Individually. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so we have reps that are assigned to the capital account and we have communication with them, whether it's on a quarterly basis or whether it's on a on need basis. And so our purchasing folks really have a very good rapport with those manufacturers yeah. where they're just picking up the phone, calling them. We do get manufacturers that do come in and visit with us. We're able to negotiate specials with them and so on and so forth. Some of these manufacturers, I imagine they're around the world, right? I mean, there's drugs made in, sure. or are they all America? I imagine some are made in Taiwan and all these places. Teva is an Israel-based company. Do they have an American thing or are you dealing with them in Israel? No, we're, they have, they have a presence in the U S and so, yeah. And so we deal direct with all the manufacturers as we gear up, obviously, as I said before, we're DSESA compliant, the rules and regulations will be changing this November. We are way ahead of the curve. Thank God to make sure that not only is capitals compliant, but our customers are compliant. And that basically follows a drug all the way through for the main reason of counterfeit? It counterfeit, it's 
diversion, things of that nature. And so, but you know, the farm, the pharmacies will be getting audited by the third parties when they'll have to produce documentation. And so it, the onus is really on the pharmacy to make sure that they're dealing. Now, obviously the big three are going to be DSESA compliant. Nobody knows what they're going to do for their customer base at this point. But as the customers buy from secondary suppliers, those secondaries better be buttoned up because there there could be they could be lev- levied some big fines at the pharmacy. And most of that is down to the bottle, like a QR code kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's serialization. It's another piece that the pharmacy is going to have to make sure that they're compliant. Right before I came on, I just saw the news that they're going to try to go after those Tylenol murderers again with DNA. This is from when you and I were yeah. kids, basically, right. and they're going to try to open that up and find DNA on the capsules or whatever. But talking about serial numbers and things like that, sure, is a crazy thing. Yeah, it was crazy. It was very unfortunate. I lived through it on both sides. I was a retailer when there was the recall, and then I was a wholesaler when there was a recall. For our listeners that are a tad bit younger, you know, you remember, Mike, back in the day, none of the packages were safety sealed. No. Then they made all these seals on them. But if you were like me, you walked around with your friends and you're like, well, there's a salad bar. I could put stuff in there. It was kind of like they were doing it. You know, it's like there was still ways for absolutely cyanide loving people to murder people. Yeah. And I remember when they came out with the new safety seal caps that the se- the seniors couldn't open them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, God forbid you were taking it because of arthritis. You couldn't get the bottle open. Right. Yeah, so- yeah. And then they had all these things. Some had like a pencil hole. You'd put a pencil right. in there and open it like a car jack kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. Mike, boy, thanks for sharing all that. It's kind of neat to peer in behind the scenes on that stuff. Just as the independents kind of keep the chains in line and mail order and lets people know there's something else out there, kind of a higher standard, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think that the secondary wholesalers kind of do the same. You know, thankfully, we're not just dealing with three people and there's people on the outside keeping the profession aligned properly, which can easily get unaligned when you have in oligopoly of, uh, you know, just a few making all the calls. In a way, we're all looking out for each other. And I think that's a nice thing. Absolutely. And again, like we said before, I mean, if you're if you're of the mindset that, hey, look, I don't want to take phone calls. I don't have time. As a pharmacy, I mean, look for one of these third party platforms that, that is, it's filling your need. If you, if your need, like to, as you mentioned before, Mike, with your store, you don't have a contract. So you're looking for transactions. Either if you don't want to take the phone calls and you find one of those third-party platforms that is facilitating a transaction for you, that's great. Use them. If you are under a PVA, you may want to look for a third-party platform that monitors your compliance. It's not easy. The pharmacies have a very tough job, and, and they really do. But they're to be applauded because it's a balancing act for them. Their primary role is to take care of patients. Well, Mike, thanks for your time. Pleasure talking to you. And we'll look forward to keeping in touch. Sounds good. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Mike. 
You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.